0: Welcome to the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast mini-series, Sustainable Living, for University of Washington Bothell and Cascadia College. My name is Noah.
1: And my name is Emily.
0: And we will be your hosts today. Today we are joined by Cammie and Miguel from the Climate Change is Happening, Now What? mini-series. Hi, I'm Miguel. And I'm Cammie. Today's cause will be eating sustainably.
2: And we should probably tell the listeners that this is going to be a two-part episode. There's so much to talk about with food, we couldn't fit it into one episode. So this is part one, and part two will be next time. We're excited to join Noah and Emily to talk about sustainable living. Thanks for having us on your show.
3: Yeah, we're excited for this conversation.
1: Let's get to it. Do we make an attempt to eat sustainably?
3: I would say not really. My
0: diet, I don't incorporate sustainability too heavily into, unless it's convenient for me. Because I, I eat a lot of meat, which is really unsustainable. And I buy a, a lot of processed and packaged food, which is also really unsustainable, which we'll get into later.
1: I eat mostly vegetarian, at least lately, because I don't really do a lot of cooking at home.
2: I definitely try to eat sustainably. Sustainability touches almost every aspect of my life. I try not to eat meat. I only eat meat if it's, if it's given to me. Because the animal's already dead and it's already been contributed to the market. So at that point, refusing it would be less sustainable. So I'm a flexitarian, which I think we'll get into later. I also try to avoid things that are unsustainable, like a lot of coffee. They, they have to deforest huge spaces in order to grow coffee the way that it's grown now. So there's um, like fair trade coffee and stuff that you can do that's more sustainable, but it's more expensive which we also get into later. Um, I try to eat a lot of vegetables and local stuff and try to avoid those oils, like the the palm oil and stuff they have to also do forests for and stuff that's really far away.
3: Yeah, I think that I am somewhere in the middle. Actually, I'm in the middle leaning left, I guess, because <laughs> uh, I do think about sustainability in my food choices, but I'm not perfect at it. I'm vegan. So because I'm vegan... I don't eat any meat. So I know that that's a major contribution toward helping reduce CO2 emissions. But I also do eat processed foods, like vegan processed foods are so easy to find nowadays. So I have tried to become more mindful of increasing the amount of non-packaged vegetables that I purchase and putting them on the top shelf so that I don't forget that they're there and they go bad because that's like the worst feeling. But yeah, I can definitely do a little bit better at reducing the amount of packaged foods that I buy because even as a vegan still something that I know could be a little bit more sustainable than it is
1: yeah I'm not even vegan but yeah I definitely relate to buying packaged foods because it's more convenient
2: it's a lot I tried to go zero waste a while back and it's like impossible I I went to Winco and I brought my own jars and I got all the way to the front I did this whole thing and they're like you can't do that here We don't allow you to do that here. And I was like, you're the only bulk food place in the whole area and you're the only one that's cheap and you literally refuse to do it. It's nearly impossible. Is there a reason that you guys don't think about it as much when you're choosing your food?
1: Yeah, there's uh, some factors that kind of like outweigh sustainability for me, such as like convenience, price. Yeah. Yeah
2: are really big factors, especially as students where we don't have that much time or money. Yeah. And sustainability can be really expensive. That's why a lot of people say it's just like it's an elitism concern.
3: Hey, I hear where you're coming from, Kami, because we're limited in the ways that we can impact climate change because we are focused on school, work, whatever else we have going on in our lives. But eating is something that we all do no matter what we have going on in life. So that's definitely one area where... We have a say in how we contribute to sustainability.
2: A lot of these are systemic problems. It's because like we live in such an unsustainable society that trying to live sustainably just takes so much energy and time and money that it's it's like unfeasible, it's unrealistic. We have to work against the grain of our society. That's why making bigger changes like bigger than just our own lives is so important.
1: I mean that's why we included this in our mini-series because I mean, everyone has to make decisions every day about what they're going to eat or what kind of food they're
0: going to buy. So,
2: Right. It's not something we can just opt out of.
0: So something I'm curious about is, do you all shop organic? Is it something that you take consideration into when you're shopping for food?
1: Well, as I mentioned, yes, I do. It's usually healthier because you're not ingesting any chemicals. But I just feel better about it because I know I'm supporting more sustainable agricultural Practices. So, yeah, I'm willing to pay like a few dollars more to buy sustainable food.
0: Yeah, I would, uh, I, I'm not really the same way. When I go to a store, it's kind of actually gotten to the point where I actively do the opposite of seeking out organic food just because I know it's more expensive. If I buy organic everything, I just know at the end it'll accumulate and just be that much more expensive. So that's why kind of I, I avoid it. And I know that's a concern probably a lot of people also have with organic food.
1: Yeah. So the cost is a big factor for you. It sounds like.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's legitimate. If we, since we were just talking about the um, systematic problems, a, a lot of sustainability is, is not, uh, people don't take action because it's more expensive upfront. I do buy organic. I don't eat very much. I just don't have, very much of an appetite. So even though it's more expensive because I don't buy very much food, it's still not too too much of an impact on me.
3: For me, I think uh yeah, I would I try to buy organic for some of the some of the reasons that Emily mentioned. But one thing that I've noticed is that I know there's like simple truth, uh like Fred Myers or Kroger stores and then there's organics, I think is what it I don't know. It has like a oh at Safeway. Um you can buy them. Um I don't shop at Safeway too much, but Basically, there are like generic brands of organic options. So that's one way that I've found organic food has been made more accessible, even if it's like canned or whatever. And then, of course, in the produce section, they also have their organic foods there. But I think that to respond to NOAA, it can be a little bit more pricey. Like I see what you're saying. There's a little bit of a upcharge. But in the long run, those choices are contributing to your own health. To the planet, the cost is so much bigger than that few extra cents or whatever dollar that you might have to pay. You can use that as a powerful way of stating where you stand.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I view it as like voting with my dollar, supporting things that I want to see more of.
2: Definitely. I like what you said, Miguel. It reminded me of, um, All the costs that come in down the road, like to your own physical health, if when you don't eat as healthily, like you'll end up paying in medical costs and in insurance costs and all of these other costs, and also with the planet, if we don't end up taking care of the planet very well by growing things poorly, then we all have future costs as a society later on. But again, it's a systematic thing, people don't make it easy for you. And one of the reasons that I've gone back and forth on this is because a lot of I've heard in some of the documentaries is that a lot of these organic things can be circumvented pretty easily with like things that don't actually help. They don't actually do the job that they're supposed to do, but they pass some of the standards and um, they get that label.
3: Much more eloquently
0: put. Yes. Yeah. That's somewhere where also a lot of my headspace lies with this is, is organic even sustainable? Because I always have to ask myself these things that are seen as societally sustainable personal choices you can make. They all exist under the same guise of you're giving money to a company and the company needs to put up an image for itself. And I mean, that even includes organic food companies. And at the end of the day, their goal is always make money and they're going to make themselves look as sustainable as possible, even if they're not behind the scenes. And there's no way to distinguish between companies that do and companies that don't. Yeah, that's something I, I also think about a
3: lot.
2: I hear what you're saying. Greenwashing is a really big problem and it makes it harder to rely on labels like that that make it easier for us. But I wouldn't say that there's no way to know. It just is a lot of research that might be like unrealistic in a lot of cases.
3: And to your point, no, I think that I sometimes I'll see that simple truth brand and it is such a big brand in the area that I sometimes want to opt into like a more unknown or unfamiliar brand that maybe has the same product that has like all these different certifications. But then the Simple Truth brand is like $2 cheaper. And I'm like, yes, I'm supporting like another big corporation. But there's like a a struggle there to know, like, am I really making the better choice by buying this organic labeled Simple Truth brand? Or should I just go with the more unknown brand that has like 10 different, you know, certifications of like fair trade and locally sourced and this, this and that?
1: Yeah, the price difference trips me up sometimes, since I wonder, is it like justified charging this much more for organic, or are they just using this like organic label to make
3: additional profits? It can be ridiculous sometimes.
1: So is shopping organic even worth it?
3: I would say
0: organic will generally be the more sustainable choice. However, not always. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, There are a lot of general trends you can follow that will lead you in the right direction.
1: Like we mentioned, you are supporting sustainable agriculture, and you're showing that you want that in our food chain supply. So in that way, you're like driving change in a more sustainable direction. But as far as your own personal benefit, there's always just a chance of non-organics coming in contact with conventional produce. So... For me personally, even if in the end I'm not getting like like pure organic foods, I still think it feels like the right thing that I should be doing.
2: As grocery workers, you're taught to like not let the organics touch the inorganic. Yeah. It seems to still be worth it because the pesticides or whatever that you're trying to avoid are like within the actual food itself, not just like touching.
1: So we talked about organics. So let's dive into why conventional farming methods are unsustainable.
0: Yeah, so as you know, our global industrial farming system is extremely unsustainable for so many reasons. Just to begin, they use in extreme abundance pesticides and herbicides that only become more toxic year by year as nature evolves to combat them, as well as synthetic fertilizers. And this leads to really deadly runoff and can create things like dead zones where at the end of rivers, there can be no fish that are alive in the Delta because there's too much nitrogen. One of the easiest to see upfront unsustainable actions of these farms is the herbicide, pesticides, and fertilizer use.
3: What we're getting at with not using these fertilizers or pesticides is that Conventional farming methods don't consider the ecology that surrounds farming or agriculture. And that is unsustainable uh, because there are effects that go beyond just preventing certain pests from appearing on the food. And sometimes that is more detrimental than what you're trying to avoid.
2: Most of the way that we do agriculture is we have to destroy the environment. We have to cut down all the trees, cut down, like if it's a wetland, we have to drain it. If it's a grassland, we have to you know, take all of that out and then we plow it. So we destroy all of the systems that are within the soil that are already like sucking up the carbon and like fixing the nitrogen and all of those little microorganisms. We're just destroying all of those. And we're creating like this big, huge impact with the tilling and the tractors that we do. And then we grow a monoculture on it. And the problem with the monoculture, we just grow one thing. It's like ton and ton of space of just like corn and potatoes, um, just one thing. Uh, which is bad for a lot of reasons. It's bad for humans because we used to, we evolved eating hundreds of different species all the time. And it's bad for the humans who work there because they have to, you know, they're they're hurting their bodies by using the pesticides. And, and it's bad for the environment because we're destroying the soil. So we're letting all of that carbon that's in the soil out into the atmosphere. and And the soil doesn't absorb water the same way. So the water just kind of runs off it, taking all the nutrients that would be in there down into wherever the water flows, which is usually over top of the, of the whole system. So we have to add a lot more nutrients, which is where all those industrial fertilizers come in, which poison the water because they're too fertile. And then we have to use pesticides because with monocultures, one pest can take out the entire thing because it's a monoculture. So one pest, that's really good for like that species of corn or whatever. They'll just proliferate just more and more and more and more and we're destroying all of their natural predators so they just decimate the whole system. So a lot of other systems like there's a, there's a couple different things that are coming out that are not necessarily organic cuz organic the label mostly just means not pesticides. But with sustainability or regenerative agriculture or perennial agriculture which are not they're not well-defined terms that the FDA will put on food, but they're they're new concepts where we we add a lot more different kinds of um, plants together. So some of them take up different nutrients that the other ones are putting into the soil and they cover the ground better and they fertilize better and they have like better root systems and the pests are better because, you can just use animals to fertilize and to, to graze and the, the pests actually can thrive. And the, the system that was there before that was letting all of the plants and everything thrive, it can come back with all of the, the whole system of the predators that eat the pests that are killing the crops. Does that make sense? Yeah, I
1: think it does. So like basically having more genetic diversity in agricultural land makes it more resilient to pests and diseases that might come and otherwise knock out a monoculture
2: yeah and soil health right now the soil is getting really depleted it's a really big problem um and it leads to desertification and stuff erosion
0: something i was uh, thinking about when when you explained the monoculture is i'm sure you guys have heard this but we used to in the 50s have a different type of banana and that's why banana candy tastes different than bananas do today because they still have the old banana flavor but this banana was genetically modified and grown in huge monocultures in banana plantations in Central America. And one day, because of the monoculture, a disease just came through and killed it, wiped out all the bananas, and we had to switch bananas.
2: That's crazy. I know the, the history of bananas is super, super crazy. Um, that's why we have that term Banana Republic.
3: I didn't know about uh, this whole banana thing. Um plantains are the food of my people. So I should probably do some looking into that.
1: So we've talked a lot about farming for plants, but there's also a lot of problems with the meat industry and animal treatment in the meat industry that even organic farming does not fix. What I find interesting is like at the grocery store, I'll see all these different varieties of eggs that have only slightly different like labeling on it. For example, like cage-free, free-range, outdoor access. And it reminded me of something I saw in, I think it was Cowspiracy, how chickens that have outdoor access, they're they're still penned up because the door to the outside is so small, like the chickens don't even know it's there. So even though they technically have outdoor access, they're still penned up. And then in the end, like the eggs that they produce are like marked up a dollar or two dollars.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, And I've heard or read, I don't know, that even the free range chickens are like, so fat, they can't even really move around or like, they're living a free life. But they're so plumped up that they're not like chickens 50, 60, 70 years ago. I don't know if you've seen that there's like a chart shows like what chickens used to look like, and how they've evolved over time. It's crazy. And like, we're doing that we're genetically modifying these animals to be so big that it's just to our liking to satisfy our needs. I definitely have some ethical uh, concerns about that. There's also the whole having a mix of so many different animals so close together and how disease can spread so easily from animal to animal. If there's an outbreak, it's so easy to spread because they're all in such confined places. I don't watch things like Cowspiracy anymore because of how in your face it is. You can't deny that there's something wrong with that picture. I'm like, I get it. I don't want to contribute to that. But of course, I want that kind of information about like what's going on because I can't just close my eyes to what's going on in the world.
1: Yeah, I understand what you mean. Oh, yeah. And how you were saying how like the livestock has become bigger and bigger over the years. I know that's especially true with cows. They just feed them all this crap that they're not even meant to be eating, and that makes them sick, but, you know, as long as they are kept alive long enough until they can be slaughtered, that's all that matters to these meat companies, which is really sad.
3: In talking about things, you mentioned cage-free or free-range, or if we're talking about beef, grass-fed. I heard that if all existing cattle that we use for meat would switch to grass-fed to being grass-fed we wouldn't have enough land available for them so it's not really a sustainable solution in a sense if we're trying to really address reducing co2 emissions by eating grass-fed because they release more methane that way
1: yeah that's a solution to like the ethical part uh, sort of but not to the Sustainability,
0: right? Yeah, because I was gonna. I think you bring up an interesting point there. Because when you think about it, like our global food system, as unsustainable as it is, we are completely reliant on these abuses of herbicide, pesticides, and fertilizer to support our hungry population. There's, you know, like billions of people that rely on these unsustainable systems. So we're we're almost like entrenched in doing this. The
2: historian Noah Yuval Harari uses that concept that we are we're tied to these systems because of our population to say that that wheat domesticated humans, <laughs> which I loved when I read his book. Actually, I disagree with the point that we have to use these fertilizers and these pesticides because of the farming techniques I was just talking about. A lot of those crops can be planted on top of each other. You can have corn with like peas underneath and potatoes and stuff like they all can grow together and it does make it a little more complicated to harvest but there's plenty of room if we stop plowing and start using cover crops and and rotating our our crops more um we would come up with a lot more space and it would be it's, it's economic too oh well, that's a lot of argument as people say that it's not economic but the the farms that have started doing this are starting to make money
0: yeah eating meat takes up exponentially more land than eating just plants so that's something else to consider like if we just cut out meat from our diet we would easily have enough farmland because of course you have to grow food on a farm to then feed to animals so you could just cut that out and just eat the food you grow to begin with
1: yeah that's a good point so what are some sustainable farming methods we can use as alternatives to these uh, environmentally damaging and unethical conventional methods
0: Well, something fun that you might consider trying is growing your own food. Specifically, you know, herbs and spices. They make for wonderful little windowsill plants if you like to grow things and you like to spice up your life a little bit. But even besides that, backyard gardens, those are really easy to set up. I had no background in gardening, but over the summer, my mom and I, we set up a garden in a backyard.
2: I... I love this. There's there's um, a lot of movements about this. If you want to get started, um, you can go online and look up lawns to lettuce. They, they do a lot of work in this to help you transition from a lawn to a garden. And the Snohomish Conservation District and also the King County Conservation District t- teach classes and help you get plants that you can, can plant with. And you can also use really sustainable fertilizer that they'll help you get as well. And chickens are really easy to raise. They do a lot of it by themselves. And then you can just get the eggs.
3: Yeah, I think this is an area, well, first of all, I don't own any land, so I'm limited in my options for (laughs) sustainable farming. And I would like to take this opportunity to publicly apologize to my basil plant that did not survive the winter. So moment of silence. Um, But yeah, uh, I'm going to give it another try come springtime because I think it'll be more easy for it to survive. And my friend got me a little mason jar kit for herbs. And I assume that would be easier enough to implement.
2: I actually think basil only lives for one year. I had mine for like three years and never let it winter over. And it, it looked really bad by the end. It's not doing good.
3: I don't even know if this one made it a month. To be honest. <laughs> um, Yeah, it was, it was sad because I figured I'm like, I'm buying this packaged basil to make pesto or whatever and it comes in this plastic container that I can't recycle it because it's not recyclable plastic so I end up reusing it as you know in one way or another and then throw it away but I went to the store the next time and I saw that they actually had basil plants I'm like look at this lifetime supply (laughs) or year supply and it just it didn't work out that way unfortunately but come springtime I'll be back in action.
2: I'm excited. Basil is is really, really good grown fresh. Um, I actually got really into this when I did live in an apartment. I had I had like one of those little patios and I grew tons of herbs out there. And I was really good at it. Every day I would come and water and take care of them. But when I moved to a house and got more land, I, w- I had all these huge ideas like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to put a rain garden. I'm going to have all these garden boxes. But it just became so overwhelming because I, had, I wanted to do so much with it. And then school picked up and I, I let most of the plants that I had when I was in an apartment die. So it's, it's, it was
1: too much for me. Starting small and simple by just maybe growing a few spices in your kitchen is a good way to start and experiment with growing your own stuff. So I also want to touch on community gardens and pea patches. Do any of you have uh, experience with this?
2: Um, I know that there are a lot of gardens you can, so in different, um, it, different apartments, you can go and they have like some land out there that you can either rent one or you can like petition to get one. Um, there are also gardens that, that are like that, that you don't have to be on the land in the apartment or whatever, you can petition to get one to the community or you can, there's like a lottery system or you have a waiting list.
3: We have our campus garden
2: Yes. Yeah. People can come and harvest what they want. There's a food forest and there's also a garden in the back. You can just walk by and, and pick up stuff if you want. Our second episode that Miguel and I did, our Songhai episode, they have a really good garden system too. Um, and they have like a really tight community that they, they garden with. It's a p- big part of their community.
1: Yeah. I think like on Seattle University campus, like there's a few garden beds that are just that you can just take whatever you want, if there's anything there, if you're lucky. But yeah, I really like that they have that. Um, Another thing is the UW farm. There's two locations, there's one by Yume Village, and then the other location is at the Mercer Court Apartments. I know they sell that food to housing and food services. It's also a great opportunity to volunteer. There's service learning opportunities as well, which is what I participated in, in my first year at college. So yeah, if you're at UW Seattle, uh, definitely
0: check out the UW farm. Yeah, UW farm is like crazy organic. I remember when on one of those tours, you go on for class, they were explaining like, they don't use any pesticides or herbicides and they had like a potato infection happen. So they had to like, just leave the plot of dirt there for like two or three years until it all died because they couldn't use any pesticides.
1: I think they recently also just got like officially organic certified.
2: How big is that farm? Have you guys been?
1: Yeah, it's pretty small. It's pretty small. I mean, it's in the middle of the city.
3: I'm just curious, um, how would we handle a situation like that sustainably? The potato farm infection thing because you're saying that they had to leave that area unoccupied for three years. And that I just can't imagine seeing that in a farm that's relied on to produce that amount of food.
2: Was it a fungal infection?
3: I'm not sure. All I all I remember is like in a normal situation,
0: like in traditional farming, they could have used some herbicide or pesticide to just fix the problem. But since they are organic, like that's why they had to wait and just let it peter itself out. I guess.
2: With a lot of stuff, you can kill a lot of big weeds and outbreaks of stuff by just doing uh, like it's called the lasagna method. You cover you like cover things with cardboard or something. so you starve it out um, from the sunlight and then everything underneath dies and you put soil on top and then um, eventually that uh, biodegrades and just becomes a layer of the earth. and then the the garden can can send the roots down. and that's a way that people deal with like huge areas of really bad weeds and stuff I don't know what you would do in an infection but a lot of like so a lot of fungal stuff if you stop watering for a while you'll uh you'll dry it out or you can heat something up or you can bring in other pests so there's a lot of gardens that like they'll have these sustainable gardens they'll have an outbreak of slugs and so they'll bring in like a ton of ducks and the ducks will eat all the slugs and then they'll poop and they'll have more fertilizer and then the slugs are gone and they eat the ducks leave and then you're good you don't have the slugs anymore
3: yeah I guess that's what I was thinking of like what sustainable way if we were, uh, you know, thinking about this on a bigger scale, but we don't really know the specifics of that situation. So yeah, those are some interesting methods.
1: Yeah, I think the idea of using like other plants or insects or animals to do like environmental
3: services for you is um,
1: a good way to farm more sustainably.
3: Right.
2: Uh, Bioutilization.
3: Um, I think, like, uh, they use sunflowers to clean up nuclear waste sites, something like that. Like, if you can do it for nuclear waste sites, I think we can find a way to, you know, do it with biological process, like an infection or something.
2: Yeah, I've heard of, there's a fungus that can that can eat radiation as well. And um, I heard, what was the other one? There's a beetle that can eat styrofoam, and they turn it into organic matter again. There's container farming, so, like, people will have... Like a, a container, like a shipping container, and they can put in grow lights and stuff. Some campuses are looking into that and they, you can stack them. Um, there's also vertical agriculture where people will grow things up. So like against against a wall or something. And there's um, aquaponics. These ideas, some people, like some wealthy people are talking about making skyscrapers of aquaponics or of vertical agriculture. Instead of having like long flat farms that take up the land, they'll have tall ones
1: in the middle of cities. I think I, yeah, I've seen that uh, vertical farming in a planting design class I took and I thought that looked really cool as well as it's very functional. So with that said, should we wrap up this episode?
3: Yeah, this was fun.
2: Thanks for having us on your show. We really enjoyed it. I know I had a lot of fun. Um, And for the listeners, if you want to hear more from Miguel and myself, we're going to be in the same thread. And our mini series is called Climate Change is Happening. Now what? And all four of us will be back again in the next episode to finish this conversation about eating sustainably. See you then.
1: Thank you all for joining us today on the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast. And we will see you next time.